Wow. Well, great to be here. We just had a great time in a conference in uh, Guzman and, and uh, Pastor Norma just sent their, their love and blessing. And uh, they're looking forward to coming back down here and, and catching up and being here and ministering. And uh, it was just a great, it's a great series just on kings, being kings. How many know you're a king? Hey, some of you are sure of that. I'm a king. We said now, I'm a king. So even if you're a woman, you're a king. Huh? See, because the Bible says, He has made us kings and priests unto our God. Priests come into the presence of God, intercede, bring the blessing and life of God. Kings extend the kingdom of God. We're all called to do that. And uh, I want to share with you something tonight. I want to share a message called pre- Preparation and Promotion. And I want us, first of all, to have a look into 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, God has a destiny for every person here. There's not a single one that God has not got something He's called you to accomplish. The challenge in life is to connect with God personally, put our life in His hands, and trust that He has a way of getting us where He wants us to get. And He has a way of expanding our vision beyond what we would normally think. Most of us, we think too small. We think too little. We think below what we need to think. And so the Bible says God's thoughts, he said, I know the thoughts I have, the thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. So God has something higher and beyond what we're used to. I want us to just read a couple of verses here. And this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, verse 12. Read verse 12 and 13. Now we're not going to compare ourselves, make ourselves uh, among the number of apostles or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. When people measure themselves by themselves or compare themselves among one another, they're not wise. That means you're pretty stupid to compare yourself with someone else when you're an original. Tell someone, I'm an original. Yeah, I'm original. I'm not going to copy you. You know? It says, now we won't boast of things beyond our measure, but according to the measure of rule, God has distributed to us a measure to reach even under you. And notice God tells us in this passage that He has are given something to us. And it's something he has measured out. If it's measured out, it means it's got a limit to it. It's defined. And he says, I have measured out to you a sphere of influence. So every believer, God has given to us a metron, a sphere of influence. Sphere of influence or an area where you're called to arise and have dominion. Arise and extend the kingdom of God. Every person's got it. Now, mine is going to be different to yours because I'm unique. I'm made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God, but your giftings, your experience, where you are is different. God has given you a sphere of influence. And you and I are responsible to prepare ourselves and to yield to God and to advance His kingdom in that area. So if you're in school, some aspect of that school is your sphere of influence. If you're in the workplace, that's the sphere of influence that you have. Notice here that God measures out to every believer. So God gives every believer an area you are responsible for. Uh, God also has determined where you should operate and extend that influence. So God places us, puts us in a church, then we have a sphere of influence within this church. You have people you connect with, relate to, you can influence. Uh, Not only that, God intends you to discover what your area of influence is and then begin to advance His kingdom in it to become a king, to arise, emerge, and bring the influence of God into that area. 
So wherever your relationships are, whatever God's entrusted to you, it's his, your, it's his intention you begin to discover your metron, your area of influence, and arise and begin to influence everyone in it, begin to shape it. Not only that, uh, the Bible's very clear. If you compare yourself with someone else, you're going to make a huge mistake. You will feel rejected and fairy. You'll live defeated because what God has entrusted you is unique to you. So every one of us has got a realm and area that God anoints us to function in and sets us so we can actually have an influence. It's our job to expand and to grow and to be faithful in that area so God can enlarge us. Even when Adam was placed in the garden, he wasn't placed in the whole world. He was placed in a garden to expand the faithfulness, to, to prove his faithfulness, to show that he was up to ruling everything. So whatever metron, whatever area of influence you have right now, God is watching what you do in it, and you are preparing yourself for a promotion. Now, a lot of people want to be lifted up. They want to have, they have great lofty dreams and great lofty ideas. We need dreams and ideas. We need to unlock our thinking and say, God, what are the great things you have for me? What are the things you want me to do? But right now, you're in the place of preparation. So I want us to have a look, and we're going to look at the life of Joseph. I'm going to go quickly through just a few things in Joseph, Joseph's life. Not you, I want you to understand this, that giftings and anointings that God gives you are a gift to you, but you are responsible to become the kind of person that can fill out and rise up and do the things God called you to do. Your character supports your gift. So the giftings in your life are always bigger than your character, and it's your job not only to develop the giftings of God, but also to develop and become the kind of person that God can use and trust in great things. Have you noticed how often pop stars and movie stars have a sudden rise to fame, and then their lives just literally fall apart? It's because the gifting drew them before people, but they didn't have the character, the, the strength, the capacity to sustain and carry the opportunity that they had. That's why their lives will fall apart. You, you have someone, uh, they win. I, I read an article a little while ago about people that had won lotto, and they listed a whole number of people that had come into a million dollars or more of money overnight. The stories were one tragedy after another because almost no one had what it took to carry the gift that they had just received. They actually financially, actually it wasn't a financial disaster, but many of them, it's quite interesting, many of them said, I wished I'd never had that money. It's become a curse in my life. It has destroyed everything I really value. Now, isn't that unusual? Most people, the illusion is, if I just got the money, my life will be good. What, they, what their testimony was, in one case after another, is after I got the money, my life actually was destroyed by it. And many of them lost their marriage, their family, everything that was good, ended up with very little. You say, I wonder why that is. Because they never developed underneath what it took to carry the gifting and the blessings that came on their life. And so I want to have a quick look in the life of, uh, of Joseph. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 37. And I want to look at three things in Joseph's life. I want to look, first of all, at his potential. And then I want to look at the preparation, and then I will show you how God promoted him so very easily. Most of us are waiting to be recognized. God is waiting for you to prepare. So while you're not preparing, you won't be recognized. So whose job is it to prepare? Well, it's always our job to prepare. So let's have a quick look at Joseph. 
And we'll read in Genesis 37, verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He was the youngest child. He was a little favorite. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw their father loved him more than all the brethren, they hated him and couldn't speak peaceably to him. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And so what did he do when he had this prophetic dream? He told his brothers and hated him even more. He said, oh, come on, listen to my dream. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, we were binding sheaves in the field and my sheaf rose up and stood upright and your sheaves came around and bowed down to them. What about that? Isn't that how you make yourself popular, eh? Because they hated him. Shall you have dominion over us and reign over us? They hated him. Then he dreamed another dream. Well, you think now that he would be a bit smarter. But no, no, he told that one. He said, oh, I've dreamed another dream. Look at this. Sun, moon, and 11 stars came and they bowed down to me. His father told him off for that. His brothers envied him. Now, what you've got to see is this, is that Joseph had two gifts given to him. The first gift was a gift from his father. It was a gift that gave him great favor with his father. In other words, he was given a gift of favor and relationship in his family. He had favor that God had given to him through his father. But here's the other thing. He got a prophetic gift around his life. I love the prophetic Who loves prophetic gift, eh? Prophetic gift. He got the gift of prophetic dreams. This year, God has been releasing a whole number of prophetic dreams. I've become much more aware of people sharing dreams, and they've been quite incisive, and almost within the moment of them being uttered, God began to operate immediately to fulfill that dream. God wants to release prophetic dreams. Prophetic in that they come from God, dreams, and they, that's the way that they come, but they begin to describe a destiny or describe what God is doing, or they unlock what things God has for our lives. So all of us need prophetic dreams. All of us need dreams coming from God. And the dreams sometimes come by way of, at nighttime you may have a dream. They may come by way of a prophecy. They may come by way of a vision. Or they must come, they may come as you time worshiping and thinking and beginning to think about what God has put in your heart to do. And you begin to bring it out and draw it out. Begin to discover what God has put in your heart. If you could do anything you wanted to do, what would you dream? What would be in your heart? Why don't you take some time and write down if all things were possible, what would I do? What would I want to do? You begin to write them all down, articulate them all. Write down the things, if I could do anything, what would I love to do? Doesn't matter how little it is, how big it is, write it all down. Get it out of your heart and find a place of expression so you begin to see these are the things in me that I would love to do. Most people die not doing any of the things they love to do. What a tragedy. But in the midst of those things that you would love to do, the Bible says if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. In other words, dreams will come. Visions will come. Desires will come. And they will be part of God's Word for our life. But this was a prophetic dream. So it was something God initiated and just said, you know, son, this is what i got ahead for you. I'm going to cause you to rise up, and you're going to have dominion and rulership, and all of your family are going to come and recognize your rulership. Isn't that a wonderful dream? Everyone's going to notice you. Everyone's going to come. I'm going to elevate you to a very high place. Well, that's wonderful. That's tremendous potential. Now, you've got to remember this. The dream is the seed. That's where the potential is. You have potential in you. But you have to develop the kind of character and grace to be able to carry that dream. So what does Joseph do immediately? Hey, guys, you want to know what God said to me? I'm going to be ruler. You guys are all going to bow down to me. That was really smart. And if that didn't get him upset enough, the next thing he did was he had another, oh, I got another dream. I got another dream. I got another dream. Let me tell you another dream. But there's even a bigger one. 
You're going to bow down to me. And he just made them furious. So he had potential and the dream. So he had a gift. He had the gift of favor with his father. He had the gift of prophetic dreaming. What he didn't have was the kind of character that would carry that destiny. He didn't have what it took to be that kind of person. And so God looked on him and said, well, I've given this dream, this great destiny. Now he has all this potential in his life. Your potential is what could possibly be. Your potential is what could be in the future. But potential has to be unlocked. And in order for you to fulfill your potential, you first of all got to begin to see it. And then once you begin to see it, there is a process of preparation. There's some part that God does. There's another part you must do. And God will set up the process of your preparation. It just doesn't look like it. And so we're going to have a look at the preparation for Joseph to occupy that great place of promotion God intended for him. What a tragedy if you were promoted before your character was ready. You would fail. What a tragedy if you never prepared and then never got promoted. You had all that potential and you died with it unlocked. But what if you were to recognize God's preparation in your hand? And I'm going to share with you just a few things out of Joseph's life. And I want you to think as we share some of these things, these things. First of all, am I going through a similar experience? How am I handling it? What am I doing? Is this experience preparing me or is this experience crushing me? What am I doing? And you see, that part is your part. And so Joseph, we know the end of the story, ended up as a king, a ruler. He ruled over Egypt, and God gave him wisdom, gave him ability to change the financial course of the world in his day. But he didn't just arrive. Let's have a look at some things that happened. Now, you know the story, but I want you, as we just share just a few, two or three aspects of it, I want you just to have a look at how God used to prepare to prepare him. Remember... God's plan was not just to get him in a place of rulership. God's plan was that he would bring salvation and birth his destiny. He'd birth God's plan for Israel in the earth. So God had a plan to get the people of God saved in the famine. God had to raise someone up into a position to do it. God is wanting to raise people up into the business arena. Why? Because he has people he needs to rescue and redeem. God is wanting to raise people up into the arts creative area. Why? Because he has people there he wants to redeem. God's wanting to raise people up in education. Why? Because in the education area he has people he wants to save and redeem. He's wanting to raise people up in the medical field. Why? Because there are people he wants to redeem. He, God's wanting to raise us up in every part of the community, every part of society. God's wanting to bring kings up into the place where they have influence. Why? Because underneath that he has a plan. He has people he wants to redeem. How can you ever become an influencer in the medical field if you don't train? How can you become great in the music creative area if you don't train? How can you become great in the education area if you don't train? How can you accomplish anything in the financial area if you don't train? If you don't let God prepare you and you do your part. So let's have a look at God's part in preparing not just the skill area. The skill area, you have to apply yourself to develop your skills. The character area, well, God can help you on that, no end. So let's have a look what God took him through. And so we read and go down into Genesis a little bit further down, Genesis 37, 28. Here's the first thing that God did. This is, how, this is God's preparation process. Now remember, God is not wanting to crush him. God is wanting to prepare him. So if you're a king, you must go through preparation. 
so that you can arise and qualify for promotion. And so notice what happened, verse 27 of Genesis 37. His brother said, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. We won't kill him. He's our brother in our flesh. And his brethren were happy with that. And then they passed the Midianite merchantmen. So they drew and lifted Joseph up out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they bought Joseph down to Egypt. Here's the first, here's the first thing that happened. Misunderstanding, rejection, and betrayal by his own family, his own brothers. Now, isn't that nice? Now, you would think, oh, we should feel sorry for Joseph. Poor Joseph. Man, that was a, that was a tough break. It's not right. They shouldn't have treated you like that. But, you know, the Bible tells us very clearly this is part of God's preparation. I don't know any man or woman of God. I don't know anyone who became great with God without experiencing rejection by people at some point. It just doesn't happen. Why? Because God's got to get you over yourself. He's got to get you over being hurt by people. He's got to get you over offenses. If you are easily offended, how can you be a great person? If you are easily upset by what people do to you, how can you be a great person? You're too small. You can't get over it. You know, some people, someone doesn't talk to them, they get upset and they're offended and stumble. You're too small. How can you be a great king? How can you be great with God? How can you have a great destiny fulfilled if it just takes someone with some words or some little action and you get put out, offended, rejected, and sink down into sadness? Come on, think about it. How can you be great for God? How can you advance the destiny God has for you if you can't stand up to people and stand up to bad treatment? You'll never cope with it. If you're going to be promoted by God into a place of influence, you must develop the kind of character that's not offended when people betray you, reject you, and treat you badly. Now, how are you ever going to develop that kind of character? Well, God sent someone, probably someone near you, around you to just get you a bit upset. How many have had that experience? Someone rejected them, and someone upset them, someone offended them, someone betrayed you, and you were just really angry. It's not fear. Why'd they do that? You get down and get all kinds of things go on in your emotions. Hey, lights on. God's preparing you. God's preparing you. Heaven's watching. Are you learning through this experience or do you need a few more? That's what it's like. God, see, to be a king, to be able to have influence that God wants you to have influence, you've got to grow on the inside. And if someone gets, someone pulls a face at you, someone talks about you behind your back, someone says bad things about you, someone runs you down, someone betrays you or offends you, and you get miffed, angry, depressed, rejected, sulky, withdraw, hey, you ain't got what it takes to be a king. You've got to grow that. You've got to grow that. So how do you grow that? Well, you go through experiences, and experiences are where you actually make choices as to whether you'll come to God and let the grace of God come into your heart, let forgiveness flow. You begin to walk in the Spirit, and you counter what's happened to you with an opposite spirit. And as you do that, you are growing on the inside. Does anyone see that? No one sees it. But heaven is watching, a king being prepared. So what did you do when you had that happen? And your parents did something, your brothers did something, your sister did something, friends did something. It got you upset. Wild. It was not right. It was not fair what they did. What did you do on the inside with that offense? Are you still sitting on it, nursing your hurt? You'll be pregnant with resentment and bitterness. You'll bring forth 
sadness and sorrow, not a destiny of God. So we have to deal with the stuff as it comes. That was the first one he had, was rejected and betrayed by his brothers. And you think, well, that's enough. I think I've had enough already. But God is determined to bring his king out. So we read in Genesis 39 verse 2, we find another situation here where he now is forced into slave labor. So what did they do? They took him down to Egypt. They would have taken him out on a block with all the other slaves. They would line up the slaves and it's a public market. They get everyone around. They strip them naked and then they plunge them up there and auction them off. Wasn't that lovely? Then you end up, he ended up in the house of Potiphar, one of the captains of the army, one of the strong men or great men in the nation. He ends up there and he's forced to slave labor. What do you do when you are forced to do things or find yourself in a situation where you have tasks, assignments, things you don't really want to do? What do you do? Well, this is what Joseph did. He said, the Lord was with him. Why was the Lord with him? Because God was raising a king. God says, I'm with you as well. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He was serving an unsaved man who probably was quite nasty. Oh, I've heard many people complain about their bosses, run their bosses down, and they don't realize they could be doing something like this. His master saw the Lord was with them, and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand, and he found grace in his sight, and he served him. In the face of injustice, he developed the heart of a servant. He could have been bitter, resentful, angry at serving in such a place. Instead, he developed a servant heart. Servant heart means he looked after the interests of his master. He looked after his interests. He served. He did what he did 110%. God was with him. Everything he did had the blessing of God. Why? Because he was developing a servant heart. If you're going to be a king and live and walk in a high place, you've got to get over offenses and develop a servant heart. That means you do an excellent job, not when someone stands over you, but when no one is looking. Because that's who you are. You do jobs well. You do them excellent. You go the second mile. You pick up things when no one said to pick them up. You do things when no one said to do them. Why? Because you've developed the life of Christ, serving heart. You're qualifying yourself, and heaven's watching how you serve. Probably other people are too. I hate it when I hear of Christians that did such a bad job. They're not representing the kingdom well, and we're not qualifying for increased influence. We're diminishing the influence we have. Some of you will have already diminished your influence. Your potential has already been diminished because in the midst of it, you let offenses cause you to have a negative attitude, a bad attitude, instead of forgiving, releasing, blessing, and befriending people. Some of you will have diminished your influence because instead of developing a serving heart, you chose instead to just do the bare minimum to get by. Heaven is watching. God is waiting to promote kings. You've got to make decisions whether you'll respond to God's training process. Well, this wasn't a nice one. And if that wasn't bad enough, you think, well, there's good. So he, he passed the first one, passed the second one. Here you've got another one. And look at this. It says, now he left everything in Joseph's hand, verse 6. And it came to pass after these things, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, come on, let's have sex. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, behold, my master doesn't even know what he's got in his house. He so trusts me, committing everything into my hand, and there's none greater in this house than me. Neither has he kept back anything from me. However, you're his wife. How can I do this? great wickedness, 
and sin against God. And it came to pass, she spoke to Joseph every day, but he would not listen to her to lie by her or have sex with her and be with her. So here we have the situation of temptation. Temptation into a sexual affair. Well, that's a very, very prominent thing today, isn't it? Temptation and pressure, no one will see. Have a think about this. He's a good-looking young guy. He's a handsome young guy. I've watched when great good-looking young guys come into the church, watch all the young girls look at them. That's what she did. And I'm sure that she was a very, very beautiful woman. He was a high-ranking official, and he would have a very, very beautiful woman to his wife. And so she'd be very attractive. She knew all the ways of an Egyptian with men. And so she knew what she could do. And so every day she brought pressure on him to seduce him. Every day, day after day after day, he was exposed to temptation to seduce him to go into her arms and have an affair. She wouldn't have said anything. He wouldn't have said anything. No one would know. Except heaven's watching. Will the man of God, will God's king fall in this moment and begin to destroy his destiny and have to go through, maybe never ever get there to where he needed to get? Or would God's man say no to sin and yes to God? Notice why he said no to sin. He never said no to sin because he wouldn't be found out. He never said no to sin because she was ugly. He said no to sin because he knew what God would think about it and he was leaning into God to get promoted. I wonder when temptation comes to you, what you do. I've watched over the years many, many young people and prophetic words over their life, destinies over their life, and then suddenly this issue of sexual relationships came up. And then suddenly out of the blue, they just fell over and walked away from their destiny. That's a terrible, terrible tragedy. That was the time when God was preparing you for promotion. That was the opportunity for you to make good decisions and grow up and increase your influence. Listen, when you make great decisions, listen, young people, in a school situation or a university situation, when you fall over morally and get involved sexually with someone, it is around the circuit real quick. Everyone gets to know. And you have now introduced something into your sphere of influence which now erodes your ability to do what God called you to do. But when you stand up and you say, well, you know, when I stood up and, and wouldn't say yes, and I stood up and I said no to sexual sin, I stood up and remained clean and remained pure. You know, they told me, called me all kinds of names, laughed at me, ridiculed me. But nevertheless, what they were doing was growing in respect for you. And you were growing in moral influence and ability to be able to influence them and have a word into their life and have direction into their life and bring God into their life. So when that temptation came on you and you kept saying, no, 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 what you were doing was establishing your right to have influence in that metron and be an answer to the problems they have. Come on, think about it. That's how you establish your influence. And I've seen this over and over and over and over again, that when you said no, they said all kinds of things against you and laughed at you, belittled you, called you all kinds of names, but secretly they respected you. Sometimes they'll tell you later on, man, I really respected you for your stand, but most time you don't hear that. Just once in a while you'll hear it, and it's God encouraging you that was a great stand you made. But you know some of the workplace, the school, that pressure to compromise sexually is a pressure that's demonic to destroy a king in the making. 
when Samson yielded to that, he yielded to the spirit behind it. It ended up he lost his power to influence. He lost his vision. He lost his focus. He lost his freedom. He went round in circles. He became an object of ridicule and laughing. You've got to understand this. If you're a young Christian girl, you know, you're a target for guys. And they don't see you as someone that they love and cherish and want to enter into covenant. They just see someone they want to spoil and defile so they can notch up another victory and then mock and ridicule. And you instead have got pain and shame and grief and all kinds of things to get over. Same with the young guys. You've got young girls today. Man, I'm never like that in my day. Man, they're like barracudas. <laughs> ever, ever seen a barracuda? Lean and slim and lots of teeth. And unashamed to target a young guy with a view to getting him into bed. Yeah, see, you understand that's a temptation for a king to overcome. And as you overcome it, and you stand up and say, Thank you, God, your holiness is on me. Thank you to help me to remain faithful to my call. Help me to see beyond the, this present temptation. If I can just withstand that temptation, I'll grow. Because the Bible says, Blessed he that endures temptation after he gets the crown of life. He's crowned, crowned, dominion. Influence. You notice something. The world's full of sexual temptation and sexual stuff in all the magazines. But when a leader falls sexually, they revile him and scorn him, and often he loses his position. Isn't that a paradox? The world says this is a good thing, and yet it expects a leader and a king to be different. You know, Billy Clinton. Everyone knows what Billy did. But you know something? It would have been grace to forgive him if he'd actually confessed to somebody, denied it, and he lost his kingship. You want to learn from that? A man who had huge influence over a nation and great favor lost it because he fell morally. Okay, so he overcame that. What a great thing. He's a king in preparation. You never know when that Delilah, that thing that's coming to you, you don't realize it's a time when God and heaven are watching. Will God's king stand up and stand and walk in integrity and be ready for promotion? So temptation, here's the next one that came, false accusation, because straight away she, she got scorned. You notice when people can't seduce you, then they revile you. And so she grabbed his garment, said, lie with me, and he ran away. She left with the garment in his hand, he fled and got out. And when she saw he'd left with the garment in her hand she, and had fled forth, she called out and said, this man tried to rape me. And you can imagine now, he's a Hebrew in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in Egypt. So the race card comes in. This Hebrew that came into our place, he's tried to do this. Everyone got crazy. No one's going to listen to this man. They just threw him into jail. The Pharaoh got tremendously angry through him. And so he now faces major injustice, false accusation. How many have experienced false accusations? Did it hurt? Was it hard to vindicate yourself? Did you want to vindicate yourself? Uh, you want to have them understand you. Oh, yes, you did. Did you try to get them to understand you? It got worse, didn't it? There's sort of something about it that's very, very hard to deal with. The Bible tells us the devil is an accuser, continually accusing us. So false accusation. How did he handle that? Well, he got thrown into prison. And it's not a nice prison. He got thrown into the bottom of the prison. He, was, he had leg irons on him. He's down in just a hole in the ground in a deep, dark place, seeing no sun, tormented in an Egyptian prison. And what did he do there? Why, he served. He served God. 
He served the man in charge, and he ended up growing up an influence in the prison. We know then he had to have dealt with the injustice of that accusation. Because if you hold false accusations and get angry about them and resentful about them, you'll become bitter inside, and it will affect how you serve where you are. So we know he overcame it. Have you been able to overcome false accusations? So leave it in the Lord's hands to vindicate. Leave it in God's hands to sort this out. Or do you get really angry and try and prove you were right and they were wrong? Never seems to work. So he overcame false accusation. He trusted God to raise him up. Now we look, here's the last one that he had to face. And this one's a hard one to face. This is a test of ingratitude. Notice the test of rejection where people rejected him and betrayed him. He overcame that one. The test there uh, of serving, of great injustice, of serving, being forced to do things he never wanted to do. He served in the middle of it. He overcame. You know, the test of sexual temptation, he overcame that. The test of false accusation, he overcame that. And then finally, test of ingratitude. And so two men were thrown into prison. One was a butler, one was a baker. And they were there with him, and he was serving in the prison. And, and so he had a, they had a dream. Each of them had a dream. And they came to him, and he helped them. And the dreams he gave were fulfilled. And the Bible tells us, he said, please, can you help me out of this prison? Put in a good word for him. He's trying to get himself out of the positioning he's in. He's trying to use his influence to get out. And I'm sure that God just looked and said, oh, Joseph, that's not good. You know, can't you trust me to get you out of here? You're going to have to do another round of a few more months in that prison. And so the Bible says, as soon as he got out of prison, they forgot him. They forgot him completely. So what happened? He had another two years in prison. And in those two years, his preparation came to maturity. You know, it's hard when we do kindness to people and they're ungrateful. That's a hard one to handle. When you've blessed someone and helped them, and then they just forgot you completely, ignored you completely, Bible call it unrighteousness. When you're treated that way and people show lack of gratitude, and you've just given and blessed and helped them, you have a test of your character as to what you will do. And in that season... In that season, he learned to trust God. And then suddenly one day, just suddenly, suddenly, the suddenlies of God, suddenly he's promoted. Suddenly he's pulled out of the prison. The Pharaoh has a dream no one can interpret. And then they remember, oh, yeah, that guy in the prison could interpret the dreams. And so his gift, his gift was recognized. But why was his gift not recognized? See, here's the thing. His gift still operated. He still had his gifting. But God's trying to get the man to grow so the man can operate in the gift at a different level. God's trying to get you to go so the gift that you've got can operate at a different level. God wants you to grow, 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 grow. What has He put you in? What prison has He got you in? How are you responding? Or do you need another couple of years in there? And so suddenly, suddenly He's hauled out of the prison, interprets the dream. They recognize He has wisdom and character, and He is promoted over the whole of the nation. He gets a place next to the leader in the nation. He's promoted straight up. Now, a lot of people look at that and they think, oh, well, that's great. God can just lift me up. Ha, ha, ha. What you don't realize is before promotion comes preparation. Joseph was promoted by God when God had him ready. He didn't get promoted just because he had a gifting. He had the gifting in the prison. He had the gifting with Potiphar. He had the gifting wherever he was. Your gifting you have with you. He got promoted when his character and grace was with the grace of God had developed, his character developed, he was ready to come up. And when he was ready to come up, the door swung open. When your door swings open, will you be ready? Right now, you're in preparation. You're being prepared for your tomorrow right now. 
Now, we know he's read. Let me just show you just simply just his heart and just what he said. In, if we look just quickly, two verses, then I'll finish up. In Genesis chapter 50, Genesis chapter 50, just have a look here when he met up with his brothers finally. I want you to see how, what he says. Very few people can operate like this. This shows the level of grace, the level that God had worked in his life. I'm sure every day while he's in the prison, while his future looks bleak and there looks to be no hope, every day he's saying, God, I thank you, you are with me. And the Bible says God was with him. And so he had secret fellowship with God, and God ministered to him, and God comforted him, God healed him, God restored him, God strengthened him. Because in the midst of the trials, pressures, he allowed God to come into his life and prepare him. Now notice what happens in verse 20 of Genesis 50. The bro- he said to his brothers, don't be, in the, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This kid, he's going re- to get even with them. You thought evil against me, but God intended or meant or weaved or fabricated it for good. That's an amazing statement. You meant evil. Did they do evil? Yeah, they certainly did evil to him. Did they mean to hurt him? They meant to hurt him. Did they hurt him? They did hurt him. But he said, but God was fabricating my future through those events, and he intended it be good for me. So he said, don't be afraid. I got no anger in my heart. I got no unforgiveness in my heart. I got no bitterness in my heart. I got no resentment in my heart. I see God. I see God used it. I know you guys were up to no good. I know you were jealous. I know you were ticked off with me because I was a bit of an upstart and I boasted about my dreams. And I'm really sorry about that. But you know, God used that thing to get me where I am now. Now that takes a work of grace to look back on your past and what was bad in your past (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha, oh well, I was a bit of an upstart and immature. God used that for good. It really has been a stepping stone for me. I got nothing there against you. I just love you and I want to help you right now because that's what God got me here for. You didn't even realize that when you were doing that to me, God was bigger than that. God was using your crazy plans to get me to a place I could help you. Isn't that amazing? What a God we serve. Now it takes real grace. You think of the people that hurt you. Think of the injustices you've had, the difficulties you've had, the pressures you've had, stresses, difficulties, whatever. Well, you know, can you look back and laugh and say, oh, well, I was a bit of an upstart and I really did need to grow up. And well, I just thank God he's used that to grow me up. And I can look back and say, well, no, I wasn't too good. And what you did wasn't really right either. But you know something? God was using this for good. He's getting a king ready to rule. And now I'm in a position I can bless you. See, have a look at another one. In Genesis 45, you find, you see, what people say reveals what's going on in their heart. And so have a look. This is what a real king can talk like. Verse 5, he said, now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves that you sold me here. God sent me before you to save life. Don't be upset. Don't be angry. Don't be distressed now. These two years, as there's been a famine in the land, there's another five years. But God sent me before you to preserve your posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So it wasn't you sent me. It was God. And he's made me to be a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all he had. God sent me before you to preserve you, our posterity. Now, that's an amazing thing. Three times he said, God sent me. God sent me. Can you look at what happened in your life? Say, well, God used that. God was using that to get me where he wanted me to get. God used that to make me the person I am. God used that to prepare me. God used that to get me where he wanted me to get. 
you look back, perhaps you had a background of abuse. And all you can feel is anger and bitterness and grief and shock and shame. And it's okay to have those feelings. But then if we will come into God, and we will allow God to heal us and God to change us and God to restore us. Then we look back and we say, oh, yeah, I know you really meant evil against me. And you really did bad. And you treated me wrong. And what you did wasn't right. And it really did hurt me. But, you know, but God has used that to bring me to where I am now. i got a relationship with God like you wouldn't know. And i got some things in God now that you'd never realize. I could never have got them without going through some of these experiences. I know the compassion of God. I know the healing of God. I know the justice of God. I know the mercies of God. Oh, I know God. Oh, yeah, you meant it for evil. But God has turned this whole thing around and got me where I can be a blessing to people. I would never want to go through it again, but nevertheless, God used it as a stepping stone for me. Yeah, that's what, that's what happens. See, the Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from the Lord who lifts people up when they're ready. So you're praying God favor, blessing, enlargement, but what are you doing to prepare you have huge potential, and here be musicians and artists. There'll be people who'd be great in finance, people who can be great in education. There'll be people here who could have influence in the community, people who could touch the lives of the broken. But right now, you're in preparation for coming forth as a king. So what are you doing right now in your place of preparation? What are you doing with that injustice? What are you doing with that rejection? What are you doing with that temptation? What are you doing with that ingratitude? What are you doing with the ways you've been treated? What are you doing to prepare for your promotion? What are you doing? Have you allowed it to go over you and sink you so you're truly in a prison? Or have you reached out to God and come to read, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. It's easy to say God's with you in the good times. But it's when you're in the prison of difficulty, pressure, injustice, misrepresentation, false accusation. You've tried to do what was right, and there you end up in that prison. That's the time you become made into a king.